You are entering the Freedom Hut. The Democrats' great green leap forward is laid out today, and wow, is it a dumpster fire of toxic waste, CO2 fumes, and all kinds of pollutants. It is a mess. We'll talk about why the left seems to think that social justice, socialism, and the environment have to go together. Also updates on the mess in Virginia with the Democrat Party and so much more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make Make no mistake. America. Ready. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. One reason that people who are politically conservative are skeptical of efforts to combat climate change Mm -hmm. is that it sounds to them like it requires massive government intervention, Mm -hmm. which they just Mm -hmm. don't like. Are you prepared to put on the table that, yes, actually they're right. What this requires is massive government intervention? It does. It does. Yeah, I have no problem saying that. Why? Because we have tried their approach for 40 years. For 40 years, we tried to let the private sector take care of it. They said, we got this. We can do this. The the forces of the market are going to force us to innovate. Government is not just for cleaning up other people's mess, but it's also for building solutions in places where the private sector will not. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. Man, I love it when we actually get Democrats talking policy. This is going to be fun, folks. Strap in. You're in for a wild ride. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez unveiled her Green New Deal proposal today in a resolution uh, out in the Congress. And it is one of the most bizarre, overreaching, diluted, insane, stupid, Just wild documents I have ever read in my life. It is as though somebody went through the comment section of the Daily Coast, the Huffington Post, BuzzFeed, and CNN and came up with some sort of a a patchwork, pieced together, Frankenstein, left-wing overhaul of everything. Everything. I'm talking all the way down to air travel and car... car Gosh, cow farts. Uh, I can't even get I can't even get the words out. It's so wild. You got to read this thing. I mean, it's a little it's it's 14 pages long. It won't take it won't take you much time. You read this this Green New Deal, which you've been hearing about for a while, is full of some of the dumbest, the dumbest stuff I've ever read that's supposedly going to be policy. I mean, there is something for everybody to make fun of in here. Uh, They want, here we go. I'll give you some of this. From the text of it itself, uh, to promote justice, remember, this is supposed to be about the environment, to promote justice and equity by stopping current, preventing future, and repairing historic oppression of indigenous communities, communities of color, Migrant communities, deindustrialized communities, depopulated rural communities, the poor, low-income workers, women, the elderly, the unhoused, people with disabilities, and youth. And youth? 
and it just goes on and on and on. Repairing and upgraded infrastructure in the United States by eliminating pollution and greenhouse gas emissions, guaranteeing universal access to clean water, reducing the risks posed by flooding and other climate change impacts, ensuring any infrastructure bill considered by Congress addresses climate change, which just means that there'll never be an infrastructure bill that's going to get through anything, meeting 100% of the power demand in the United States through clean, renewable, and zero-emission energy sources, 100%. I, I, there's so much here. It's, it's a magnificent monument to left-wing idiocy. This is the Eiffel Tower of stupid progressive. This is the Mount Rushmore of liberal lunacy. Wow. I, I had some fun reading through this today. None of it makes any sense. There's stuff in there about, and, and by the way, we have, it deserves to be ridiculed, but then it also deserves to be taken seriously because about 20% of the country is on board for this stuff. Maybe more like 25 or 30%, which is appalling, but that's reality. The liberal left buys into all of this. Even if they know the science doesn't make sense, even if they know that economically this would be our version of Mao's Great Leap Forward, which was central planning taken to the max, seemed like a good idea to the people in charge, led to mass starvation, perhaps as many as 60 million dead. And that was in the 20th, middle of the 20th century. This would destroy our economy. I mean, just destroy. And I don't mean that in, oh, it would, it would reduce GDP by a point or two, which would be really bad. But, oh, no, 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 no. If we did the stuff that they're saying we should do in here, we would be a much poorer country with much less, uh, with much less wealth to go around for anyone. I, I was somewhat flabbergasted reading through this thing today. I was trying to find a way to, to not kind of laugh, but also have a little bit of a uh, unease. And this is the this is the leading light of the Democrat Party right now putting this forward. It addresses the need to eliminate cow farts. It says that we should have high-speed rail to replace airplane travel. Oh, so as Maisie Hirono, arguably the dumbest woman in Congress, but I don't know, I think there's some competition. Maisie Hirono from Hawaii says, what about Hawaii? It's going to have to be quite an infrastructure project to get high-speed rail to Hawaii from the mainland. Now, you could say, Buck, well, they don't think they're really going to eliminate this or they're not going to get to 100%. These are targets. These are goals. Well, then why are you releasing this as a policy statement? You, you, no one is forcing the social justice green left to tie all this stuff together and to just make this proclamation that is untethered from reality. Untethered from reality. I mean, it's quite a read. It is quite a read indeed. Um, I want here. Here's some some more of of what she had to say about this. 
that it, of course it's massive government intervention. This is why the left loves this. The environment all of a sudden turns into an excuse for them to control everything about your life, all of your economic decisions, everything that's going on with you. And if you're opposed to it, you're a bad person who wants kids to drink toxic waste sludge and people to die from you know inhaling chemicals. You see, one of the one of the the tricks that they pull with this is by pretending they create a massive straw man in this argument. Nobody, nobody wants to live in a country or live in a world where you can't breathe the air, you can't drink any water, there's no good, you know, there's no food to eat. Or I mean, this is just, this is some fake argument that they offer up. That everybody that thinks that their ideas are crazy, and they are crazy, and this is, this is not, I disagree with them, this is their nuts. This is the green left-wing Democrats are bonkers. But they act like you and I, for our mere skepticism over this, don't want clean water, don't want clean air. I'm all about, I, I think conservation is great. I think being good stewards of the environment is important. I think that anti-pollution efforts are important. I don't think that CO2 is a pollutant, however, and I don't think that dramatically changing the lifeblood of our economy, which is fossil fuel energy, that is just a fact, in order to try and mitigate the effects of 0.1% of the atmosphere's increase or decrease, I, I don't think that that is what any sane person should do. And I know that this will have massive costs and this will have tremendous negative long-term effect on on growth, but also on human freedom. This is what Ocasio-Cortez doesn't get because she's, she's an ignoramus. I mean, she is. I, I, I don't try to be mean. You know, I, I think that we'll talk later. I mean, Elizabeth Warren is a fraud, but she's not an imbecile. I, I think actually Ocasio-Cortez is borderline, borderline imbecile. I mean, n- not a smart person. A brilliant show person, a brilliant, uh, you know, political theater actor but not somebody who's really thought through any of this stuff just doesn't know anything just doesn't know anything and the democrats listen to her like she's the queen bee she's the the single most beloved democrat by the media in the united states right now she's been in congress for all of a month and she comes out with this plan that any adult who's trying to be reasonable and sane would would say is crazy i mean this is a crazy but why would you do this why put out such a crazy plan and why is it about removing oppression from indigenous peoples what does that have to do with climate change there's so much here i mean you there's so much wrong that it really is hard to know where to start but at a at a strategic level at a thirty thousand foot view you look down at this you realize oh this is just this is just the pathway to socialism. And instead of the reds, they're the greens. I mean, this is just using the environment as a means of mobilizing people to the same ends that are not just socialists, but that communists did. This is really more this is really more borderline commie attitude about the economy because this is full state control. This is revolutionary central committee planning. This is scary stuff. 
and they tell us that we should be worried about Trump's tax returns. We, we have so much to work with here. And I would just note that, you know, Democrats are largely lining up behind this. They are saying that uh, this is there's some good ideas in this. And they're going to be very prickly about conservatives like me saying that this is this is an indication of the lack of intellectual seriousness that left-wing policy has devolved into, but also the incredibly grandiose statist ambitions of the left to just control everything in your life, to just be in charge of everything, to use the environment as the, the, the catch-all and the cure-all to take, care, to take care of everything by taking all power into their hands. So it's hilarious and terrifying at the same time. And we will spend more of our time uh, this hour on, on some of the details here and what some other Democrats and other uh, prominent voices are saying about this. Um, uh, 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK if you want to chat about the Green New Deal. Take a couple calls this hour and... We have more on this, and we'll be right back. So you're saying borrow the money, make the investment, the economy will grow, we'll pay off the debt. Absolutely, because we're creating jobs. Although I do have to say, you you mentioned the Republican tax mm-hmm. cut. They said the same thing about the tax cut. Let's yeah. do this tax cut. The economy will grow. It's going to be great. It's going to mm-hmm. pay for itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, hasn't turned out to be true at all. Absolutely. And I, I think that, that that is an important distinction to make because when they were advancing that cause, they had no evidence to say that these things were going to happen. But we actually do have the evidence. For every $1 invested in infrastructure, we get $6 back. That's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. <laughs> what is, where does she even get that? We get $6 back? For every dollar, we, is she not familiar with some of the public works projects across this country that have cost billions of dollars, still aren't even finished? And you know, does she does she not know what what it was like to try to even get the Second Avenue subway built in New York City, the big dig in Boston? You, you look at this stuff, and any any normal rational person comes away saying, "Yeah, there's a lot of boondoggles and a lot of wasted money, and every one dollar we spend on infrastructure, well, then we could just become rich by spending." You know, trillions and trillions of dollars on infrastructure projects. But this is kind of the Obama school of economics. We'll just we'll make people we'll make the country rich by paying people to do jobs that we don't really need anyone to do. But the government will do it. and We'll take money from the taxpayer. So there you go. Doesn't really work that way. Kim Strassel on this whole Green New Deal thing has a pretty great thread that I wanted to share with you before we get into some more of this. And, and then also the immigration debate coming up. Here's what our friend Kim Strassel writes from the Wall Street Journal. By the end of the Green New Deal resolution and accompanying fact sheet, I was laughing so hard I nearly cried. If a bunch of GOPers plotted to forge a fake Democratic bill showing how bonkers the party is, they could not have done a better job. It is beautiful. Take a look at Ron Bailey to see the sheer numbers of turbines, solar panels, and facilities necessary just for the renewable electricity bit, you need 500 kilometers, uh, 500,000, sorry, square kilometers, bigger than California. Also note that government will pay for these, not the private sector. Also, AOC would put charging stations everywhere, upgrade or tear down every building in the country, homes and businesses. 
install high-speed rail across every state, upgrade all of our infrastructure. Yeah, that's right. She actually wants to, to replace every building in the country with a more green-friendly structure. Think about that, everyone. Tear down every building in the country and replace it with a, an environmentally friendly structure? This is nuts. Somehow, government-run health care, family-sustainable wages, paid leave, and affordable housing are also required for a clean economy. I would love to understand this logic and imagine what wages will need to be, uh, need to be paid for billion-dollar-per-kilowatt electricity. Key part, though, is, in fact, the sheet that explains why the resolution is not immediately banning fossil fuels or demanding zero emissions across the economy because... Quote, we aren't sure that we'll be able to fully get rid of farting cows and airplanes that fast. That's right. They use the word fully and farting. Planes run on fossil fuels. No fossil fuel, no visits to granny. Cows produce methane. Why alarmists want to get rid of livestock. She can't do it fully in 10 years, but AOC is coming after your air, air miles and your bacon. This is honesty about how Democrats would micromanage your private life. And how to pay for mass trillions in costs? Don't worry. Federal Reserve will just extend credit and new public banks can be created to extend credit too. Because, you know, like money is just paper and how hard can it be to make some more of the stuff, right? Okay, back to laughing. Kim Strassel there, Wall Street Journal. I mean, you know, Kim gets it right. It's it's amazing. It's amazing when you read this thing. And and it's it's funny. It's kind of like what the media had to do after the Elizabeth Warren DNA debacle. I am one 1,024th Native American. So, yeah, I'm Native American, Elizabeth Warren says. Uh, and the media was like, well, she has provided DNA results. So let's take her word for it. Um, No. And they're trying to make this proposal from AOC sound serious. The problem with that is it is impossible. It is impossible to do. Uh, more on this in just a moment. Guys, today marks the seven-day countdown until Valentine's. Now, I know a lot of you have already ordered your special someone a gorgeous bouquet from my friends at 1-800-Flowers.com. But for the rest of you out there putting it off, take care of it today. Because right now, when you order early, you'll get 18 red roses for $29.99 or upgrade to 24 red roses for only $10 more. That's right, 18 red roses for $29.99 or upgraded 24 red roses for $10 more. I've used 1-800-Flowers before for thank yous, for sending things to Miss Molly for her birthday. They are the best. The flowers are absolutely gorgeous, and it's so easy. Just call them. You'll see. They're picked at their peak of freshness, and they're shipped overnight. It's going to be beautiful. This is the way to do it. Get it done today, okay? To order 18 red roses for $29.99 or upgrade to 24 red roses for only $10 more, go to 1-800-Flowers.com slash buck. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash buck. Hurry, offer expires Friday. The five warmest years have been the last five years. And this is not from some conspiracy group or anything like this. This is from NASA and NOAA. You know, these are government organizations tasked with keeping track of this. I think if we all disappeared like this, the Earth would go back and just be fine. You yeah. know, whatever cycle it's on, whatever, if it's warm, if it's cold, I think it just goes back to yeah. doing its thing. But we all live here. Yeah, human beings are the problem, you see. 
they always revert back to this. At, at the root, there's a, a kind of hatred of humanity that is animating a lot of this climate change alarmism. We are the problem. The, the presence of human beings on this planet despoils it. You know, we're the, we're the issue here, and we need to change radically because of all the bad stuff that we do. I take a different view, which is that the planet exists for us, that we are the only sentient beings on the planet, and the planet is here to support us, and we should use it for our advantage. Now, that doesn't mean that the river should be you know, flowing with toxic waste, but it, it does mean that we should use the planet. <laughs> it's here, it is here for us. Uh, but the left is just just wacko on this stuff. They really are. You know, this this idea that the five warmest years on record of the last five years, and this is all over, I think, a 1.4 degree warming last year as compared to the year before. Uh, yeah, 1.4 degrees higher than the average in the 20th century. They are They are raising the alarm about the end of humanity and the extinction of the human race because of a 1.4 degree change in average temperature compared to the last 100 years. The Earth is a few billion years old, you know, however many billions it is. Uh, we only have temperature readings for the last 100 years. This would be like looking at a beach and looking at one grain of sand and saying, well, what I can tell you about every other grain of sand is that this one is this size. And so all the other ones have to be the same size. No, that's not true. Uh, you're looking at a very, very, very small data sample and drawing enormous conclusions from it. I mean, just making vast oversimplifications of what you can learn from the data. Uh, but I would note that AOC is not the only one who finds this uh, climate alarmism approach to be the way she wants to go. Pelosi also gets in on this. Play clip eight. Yesterday, as I mentioned, I pointed the Select Committee on Climate. I, I said that this Select Committee will have a leading role in uh, taking testimony, building current information on solutions to the climate crisis. There's all kinds of ideas coming forward. We welcome all of them as they highlight the importance of this existential threat to the planet. It's a, a national security issue when it comes to preventing climate-driven instability. It's an economic and jobs, jobs, jobs issue of good-paying jobs, making America, keeping America preeminent in green technologies in the world. And it is, a, in my view, a moral responsibility, if you believe, as do I, that this planet is God's creation and we have a moral responsibility to be good stewards of it. Just blather piled on top of claptrap, laid atop more blather. Wow. Pelosi, existential threat to the planet. I don't know how anybody really believes this, although I do think that you have a, a kind of unholy alliance here between the very cynical, power-hungry left that realizes that once you buy into this construct as of uh, of climate as possibly going to d d end humanity that this is an existential issue that that all human life is going to end unless you put them in power they they're willing to just go along with it but you also do have 
a sizable contingent of the Democrat, usually Democrat atheist left as well. They really buy into this. Although I have seen more and more of these left-wing Christian types who are coming forward saying that climate change is a climate change is a Christian issue. You know that like like Jesus wants you to take a bicycle to work and not drive a car. I mean, I, I do hear the social justice uh, Christian left say this stuff, and and I, I get very frustrated. The Pope. The Pope has said stuff about climate change, which, what the heck is he doing? He's got bigger problems. I don't know if you saw some of the news today, uh, you know, about more more sex abuse and more terrible stuff going on in the Catholic Church, but that's a conversation for another time. Pelosi says this is an existential threat. I don't think she believes that at all. Not one bit. But it plays well to her loony left-wing base, and it also opens the door to allow Democrats to try to regain the moral high ground after a month where they've been pushing socialism, which always remember is based on the state seizing your property under threat of force and giving it to other people and infanticide, which as much as people can try to tell me that that is not what they were supporting, that's not what Northam was supporting, that's not what uh, Tran in Virginia was supporting. um, No, it was what they were we can we can listen, we can read, we can hear, we know. That is what they were supporting. And it just shows you the deep moral abyss that the Democrat, Par- Democrat Party uh, has not just fallen into, but has embraced now. There's a kind of pride in their inhumanity and, and in the sinfulness of many of their policies and, and much of their decision-making uh, that should be unsettling to to anybody paying attention. But I, I said we would take some calls. So Chris in uh, Virginia, welcome, my friend. Yes. Yes, you're on the radio. Okay. Um, I was just going to say, <clears throat> I, uh, you're referring to everything as uh, fossil fuels. Um, I think not necessarily to take the wind out of their sails or such. I prefer to call them hydrocarbons. <laughs> Um, I work in the aviation industry, and we're actually moving away from standard aircraft fuel to swift fuel, which is in the future. It's not here yet, but it's renewable. It's made from bio-waste, et cetera. Um, plus, you know, the hydrates and the and the CO2 that come up and blend below the Earth's crust are also uh, hydrocarbons. It's not necessarily fossil fuel. Um Okay, is that it? Um, I just, <laughs> you know, I'm just trying to, you know, they they keep wanting to say fossil fuel, fossil fuel, fossil fuel, and we only have a limited amount, but there is more. I mean, it's being generated and it's being made naturally and man-made. It's not like we're going to run out anytime soon. Um, you know, it's. I think they're pointing as fossil fuel is kind of the the straw man argument. Alrighty, thanks for calling in, my friend. Yeah, fossil fuels are, are a type of, of hydrocarbon. So, yeah, hydrocarbon is a broader categorization. Um, but this then brings me to any of you who uh, are looking for a book to read, if you if you care about it, and it's it's a great, it's a history, and, and it's a really well-written book, but Daniel Juergen's The Prize is a history of the oil industry, but a great book. I'm actually about to start reading a book on the history of salt. So I, I find these things to be... Uh, very. I read a book years ago on the history of chocolate. I, I like to learn about these things, uh, but the prize is a is a fantastic book. But one thing you learn from the history of 
hydrocarbons, uh, which includes fossil fuels, is that we are nat- we are naturally decarbonizing in our fuel usage. So you look at what they would call you know dirtier, more CO two, but but heavier burning and less efficient fuel sources. Okay, wood burning. Then you go to and and at one point it was whale oil was really the preferred uh, fuel for for lighting and for lamps and things. Obviously, killing a whale to get to its fat is not a particularly efficient way to do things, and it's going to run out fast. It's going to be very expensive. But then we moved on uh, to coal, and then you had the Industrial Revolution largely powered by coal, right? You know, the Industrial Revolution brought to you by coal power. Uh, And then from coal, we moved to oil and gasoline. And then from gasoline, we have moved to increasingly toward natural gas. And uh, our caller just brought up some of the new fuels that that are based on uh, renewable technology. I'm not opposed. See, this is another place where the argument kind of breaks down and and the left doesn't deal with what's really happening. I am not opposed to uh, solar energy. I'm not opposed to, although, as I like to say, uh, the... Wind turbines, they are Cuisinart's for migratory fowl. You know, they just get chopped up into little pieces. It's really bad, actually. It kills a lot of birds. Those big wind turbines are killing birds all over the, all over the place. Uh, so for people that are big stewards of the environment, you know, you don't necessarily want to shred all of our bald eagles with these stupid wind turbines. But those are, especially when you get into solar and the grid and the storage technology for it, if those technologies were there we would already be using it in much larger numbers. That Ocasio-Cortez's little green energy uh, debacle, the, the Green New Deal, which it, it goes so far beyond the environment and energy too. It's, you know, we want this and we want that and throw this other thing in and social justice. And, but then it doesn't, me- uh, doesn't make mention of nuclear power, uh, which is the cleanest and by far the most, and on an efficiency basis, nuclear power really blows everything else away. Um, but the left gets very scared about that. Oh, there'll be, uh, you know, meltdowns and things things will happen and nuclear waste. Um, it's, it's pretty amazing that they don't deal with that. Um, and in fact, the move in Europe away from nuclear power has resulted in much higher energy costs. And as you know, gasoline there is much more expensive than it is here. But... These processes are naturally occurring through technology, and and this is our we are de the, the world is decarbonizing our energy sources. That is happening, and it has been happening for over a hundred years. So when people do these projections for what our fossil fuel use or sorry hydrocarbon usage is going to be for the next fifty years, they don't know because in five years there'll be technologies that are more efficient than what we have now. The problem comes with the central planning aspect of this. Industries and different applications of the technologies that we have will adopt them when they make sense. They will adopt them when they are cost effective. That's going and and the people that are doing the R&D, the research and development on this are moving as fast as they can based upon what the market will bear and what they can figure out in terms of the science. But it's going to happen. I mean, I do believe that by, you know, the next century, we probably will have moved largely beyond hydrocarbons. But to try to make us move at 
5x or 10x the speed of that decarbonization process. This is where the Mao Great Leap Forward lesson of history becomes so relevant. Look at China's success with its economy. Massive rise in living standards for people. But that would have happened without deciding to depopulate the rural areas, move everybody into cities, and have a famine where 60 million people died. You didn't need to suffer through that to get to this point of rapid industrialization. This was all pushed through central planning. Central planning has a storied legacy and history of massive and catastrophic failure. And that is one of the biggest lessons of history of the 20th century. I don't think Ocasio-Cortez even knows that. And I really mean that. I don't think if you asked her, what are the great failures of central planning in the 20th century, would she even be able to come up with, oh, I don't know, the Soviet Union or communist China or go down the list? Oh, it wasn't a failure of central planning. It was just a failure of the implementation of central planning. And thus the argument that we had thought perhaps we defeated in the early 1990s is back in full force, courtesy of a 28-year-old former bartender from New York City. We will be right back. This is a story that just broke as we were on air here. It's, it's, a, it's a doozy. Uh, so Jeff Bezos is the founder and, uh, and CEO of Amazon, one of the three or four most valuable companies on planet Earth. And look, it's a company that I love. I'm going to be honest with you. I use it all the time. It's, it, makes life, it just makes life more convenient and more efficient. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Bezos has a relationship with a woman that he is now is his girlfriend. He left his wife. And there have been these reports that Mr. Bezos had taken, uh, had sent racy text messages, including uh, what we will call um, lower area photography, and had shared this with his then mistress, now girlfriend. Um, you know, this is increasingly a common thing. More and more people with their significant other, loved one, wife, husband, whatever, will do this. I, I, a lot of you are like, it's crazy. You should not, but it is a more common thing. Um, and apparently the, uh, and it's becoming a more common thing, I should say. And the Washington Post, which Bezos owns, means that he is obviously disliked by a lot of folks. Uh, because they think that he's going after them with the Post, which I would say he probably is at some level. But let's put that aside for a moment. AMI, which publishes the National Enquirer, uh, sent a letter to Bezos essentially telling him to tell the Washington Post to change their coverage of something involving the National Enquirer. And, and there's some political angle to it. And they said, essentially, you tell your Washington Post to back off or we're going to publish these uh, these photos of Mr. Bezos's manhood, so to speak. And Bezos has published this on Medium and has gone public with the exchange and is calling it blackmail and extortion. I got to tell you, um, messing with Bezos, you know, once you start going after guys who not only own uh, a major media outlet that they can hit you back with, but also have billions and billions and billions of dollars at your disposal... You know, Peter Thiel showed us what can happen with Gawker, and I cheered Peter Thiel burning Gawker to the ground. It was one of the most wonderful things anyone's done in the media industry in a long time because Gawker was a disgusting trash heap. You know, National Enquirer is 
I mean, I read that email. It reads like blackmail. I know a lot of you don't like Bezos, and that's fine. I don't like his politics either, but it reads like blackmail to me. And he's gone public with it. This is going to get very interesting, and uh, he's going to he's going to fight. So I do think, by the way, we're going to see a lot more Mr. Bezos any day now than we had intended. Be prepared for that, ladies. Shield your eyes. Um, but if you remember the show The Wire, you come at Jeff Bezos, you best not miss. And I think the National Enquirer may have missed on this one. we got a big hour, two coming up with immigration talk. Stay with me. It is the most delicious, most wonderful coffee you can get anywhere. And my friends, it's also the most patriotic, the most freedom-loving, and gets your day started the right way. My friends at Black Rifle Coffee do it right. Oh, the coffee is delicious. And I'm going to tell you, it's got a real caffeine kick to it too. So if you're like me, they do have decaf, by the way. But if you're like me and you want to get fired up and get your day going and get into the action, whatever that means for you, you want to start your day with Black Rifle Coffee. I recommend you join their coffee club. That's what I'm in. They send it to you every month. You get your coffee, get it ground, get it whole bean, get it K-cup, and you can wake up with America's coffee every day, courtesy of Black Rifle. Visit BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck and receive 15% off your order. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck for 15% off. Again, one more time, BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck. 15% off, folks. This should be your coffee. All of you all across the country, Black Rifle Coffee. To protect the dignity and worth of every person, my administration has taken historic action to combat human trafficking. Last year, I directed the State Department to cut off development aid to nations that do not demonstrate a commitment to ending human trafficking in their own countries. And we are fighting every day to stop the tragedy of human trafficking all along our southern border. Together, we will end the scourge of modern-day slavery. Human trafficking is a terrible thing, and a lot of people suffer as a result of it. Human trafficking in this country is up because at our southern border, there are a lot of people that are being brought there who don't have the money to pay, and so... They are uh, sexually assaulted and exploited by the coyotes who are backed by the cartels, which means that there's not going to be any uh, government or police reprisals against them that are likely to happen. Um, People get sold into essentially slavery in this country to pay off their debt to the cartels. And remember, you know, cartels have a lot more ability to strike at people that are illegals who come into this country because if they if there are any family members left behind the cartel knows that in Mexico or in Central America they can get to them very easily so it's not like somebody's safe and and out of of jeopardy once they get into America because you know this was always true also I worked with a guy who spent his whole career when I was at the NYPD he dealt with Russian organized crime And he said, what you have to know about the Russian organized crime is they just want to make money in this country for the most part. Um, They're willing to be brutal, but they're particularly willing to be brutal against Russians with family back home, back in the mother country. So, you know, if you stand in the way of the Russian organized crime community in the New York area and you're you're yourself Russian, you know, they go after your family back in, in Russia. 
that's that the cartels can operate that way too, which changes, uh, which changes the calculation for a lot of people and gives the cartels much more power over individuals that are brought into the country illegally. Uh, but here's a here's a story that you will not hear from many folks today because you know we've we've essentially dismantled one of the open borders Democrat you know, left-wing talking points that they love the most. I mean, we have effectively pulled apart the walls don't work line. We may not get a wall, but at least we don't have to listen to idiots for the rest of eternity chant, walls don't work, walls don't work, as as if that's not the dumbest thing I've ever, I've ever heard. I mean, it really is very, it feels very similar to saying, water isn't wet. Water isn't wet. It's like, well, I think you're just wrong. Walls work and water is wet. But there's another talking point that you will often hear. Another talking point from the left on immigration uh, that I think is one that has never, you know, you don't have to get too deep into the data. I try to to dive into the data a bit, but you don't have to do that. Um, You actually can just think this through and you find yourself coming to the conclusion that this talking point is wrong. And the talking point is that even illegal aliens commit less crime than native-born Americans of all ethnic backgrounds. So Hispanic, black, white, Asian, that illegal aliens commit less crimes. Now, any of you who have a familiarity with local crime stats in areas where there's a lot of legal aliens, when you add in deaths caused by drunk driving, gang violence, including MS-13 gang violence, terrible uh, sexual assaults, including some very high-profile sexual assaults of in very young girls by illegal aliens. I mean, this, this stuff happens and happens and happens. We see it across the country. The media tries very hard to, and, and all due credit to Ann Coulter on this because she's really raise the alarm on it. The media always says, you know, North Carolina man attacks 12-year-old girl. And then when you're reading the story, you know, the guy comes from Mexico or, La- or somewhere in Central America or Latin America, and he's an illegal alien. But he's a North North Carolina man is how they refer to him in the headline. And you have to dig. And in some of the stories, they won't even mention his illegal status. In fact, in a lot of them, they'll just skip over that as though it doesn't matter. The idea that illegal aliens commit crime at a lower rate than native-born Americans does not make sense. It does not make sense. Um, you think about this. These are people that are coming here. They're already breaking the law. They're in desperate circumstances. They are, as they, by the, they always say, they're pushed into the shadows. They can't operate openly in the normal economy. And they're going to be more law-abiding than the rest of us? Now, I could I could tell you that if you add in document fraud, marriage fraud, lying to federal authorities, I mean, they commit a lot of crimes that they're just not prosecuted for because the immigration authorities don't have the bandwidth to prosecute them for it. But I've also always said that, uh, that this doesn't strike me as, as plausible, that in a broader sense, they are um, more law-abiding than, than average uh, day-to-day Americans. And so there's this this organization, Fair uh, FairUS.org. I want to read you this piece, and this was shared today by Jessica Vaughn, 
who is at the Center for Immigration Studies, who all she does is dig into the data. She knows this stuff really well. Um, and, and this is just debunking, looking at the data and debunking the claim. Let me read you a little bit from this piece. For decades, open borders proponents have parroted the narrative that illegal aliens commit less crime than native board citizens. However, this claim typically rests on studies that manipulate the data in order to support the fictitious illegal aliens equals less crime narrative. Why are the majority of studies of illegal alien criminality so flawed? Uh, first, illegal immigrant crime calculations conveniently and invariably steal a base by leaving out the millions of crimes committed by illegal immigrants related to procuring fraudulent social security numbers, driver's licenses, that's what I said, right? And in improperly accessing public benefits. That error is then compounded when researchers intentionally elect to leave out broad classes of crime, for example, drug offenses, as the Cato Institute frequently does. Secondly, most federal and state local government do, uh, agencies do not collect data on the rates at which illegal aliens are convicted of crimes. This is due to political correctness, most likely, and a desire to keep the truth about the number of crimes committed by illegal aliens from coming to light. Uh, Unfortunately, almost every public official not named Jeff Sessions guards against disclosure of illegal immigrant-related crime more tenaciously than disclosure of nuclear launch codes. And then finally, most researchers tend to ignore a few, the few established sources that provide data on crime, uh, criminal acts by known illegal aliens. They point to all types of alleged and typically baseless flaws in this data, ranging from limited sample size to an inability to determine whether illegal aliens are being counted more than once. Uh, this is essentially just lots of lies and, and smears to undermine the data. So to get an accurate, uh, accurate count of the data here, this is how FAIR has, F-A-I-R, has researched this information. They analyzed incarceration data from the federal government's state criminal alien assistance program, compared it to public records of state and local prisons, uh, they looked at state entities and the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement looking to re, uh, obtain reimbursement for costs associated with incarcerating illegal aliens. The rate at which a state seeks, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, they get as deep into the existing data as they possibly can. And here is a summary of the findings of this. All right. In all of these reporting states along the southern border, Reporting interior states that are preferred destinations for unlawful immigrants, illegal aliens are incarcerated at a much higher rate than citizens and lawfully present aliens. The data indicates that illegal aliens are typically at least three times as likely to be incarcerated than citizens and lawfully present aliens. The program only includes illegal aliens who have at some point been convicted of a crime the only reasonable conclusion is that illegal aliens must commit crimes at a higher rate than citizens or lawfully present aliens. You know, this is, um, you know, they break down the, the, the numbers here for you. And, and I'm trying to do a, a quick overview of, of all of this. And I, I think it's fascinating because we already knew this, didn't we? I mean, th this isn't in any meaningful way surprising, is it? I mean, you knew that illegal aliens, just based on what you see going on all the time, commit crimes at a higher rate than native-born Americans do. Of course they do. By definition, they're willing to commit one crime, and then, based on the other pressures and and realities of their circumstances, it just seems much more likely. Isn't it? Desperate people that can't as easily compete in the economy would... Remember, 
this I'm taking the pro-American point of view. It's the libs that are always saying illegal aliens are more law-abiding than black Americans, more law-abiding than white Americans, more law-abiding. They take the illegal aliens are better than you position. And then they want to lecture us for being the bad guys. By state, I thought this was really interesting. I mean, here you go. They broke it down. California, point, uh, they have percentage of citizens, lawful immigrants uh, incarcerated. 0.4%. Percentage of illegal aliens incarcerated, 1.5%, which means that there's a 231% uh, chance that illegal aliens are more likely to be incarcerated. So over, essentially over two times, almost two and a half times. In New Jersey, 440% more likely uh, that illegal aliens are incarcerated than native-born Americans or remember native born Americans or legal immigrants in Arizona, three times as likely in Washington, two and a half times as likely in uh, New York. One one hundred eighty seven percent, so almost two times as likely. You know, you, you they they don't keep information on this because they don't want you to know. What a preposterous scam this whole thing is. The government could have all this data for you. Think about how easy it is now to collect and collate and share and analyze data. How is it that the government doesn't have at its fingertips, and they, they simply do not have it, an exact number of the illegal aliens in custody, an exact number of illegal alien crimes committed in this country, felonies. Let's just limit it out to felonies, drug or otherwise. They don't have that data. You can call Bureau of Prisons. They don't have it. You can call state prisons. They don't have it. Why not? Because they don't want to have it. Now, what does that tell you about what's really going on here? It tells you that they're lying to you. Once, Just like walls don't work, the talking point that illegal aliens commit crime at a lower rate than native-born Americans or legal immigrants is an, a lie it's an obvious lie, and the people who have been peddling it should be ashamed for saying it for so long. But we are now, in the era of Trump, in a position to finally look at this and get closer to the truth. Finally break down all these lies. Finally have a discussion about immigration that's based on the reality and not the mythology that's created by the left-wing, open-borders Democrat media. We are days away until Valentine's. Now, I know a lot of you have already ordered your special someone a gorgeous bouquet from my friends at 1-800-Flowers.com. But for the rest of you who are putting it off, take care of it today. Just get it done like I have. I don't, I'm not thinking about it right now. I just know Miss Molly's going to see beautiful roses. They're going to her office. Don't tell anyone. Beautiful roses showing up, two dozen of them, because 1-800-Flowers gets you the top quality roses and a great deal. So if you want the best flowers, you want it taken care of, and you want to pay the least amount of money, you want to go to 1-800-Flowers.com right now, okay? To order 18 red roses for $29.99 or upgrade to 24 red roses, that's what I did, only $10 more, go to 1-800-Flowers.com. Just go click on the radio icon and enter code BUCK. That's 1-800-Flowers.com. Click that radio icon, enter promo code BUCK. Hurry, offer expires Friday. You know, earlier this week, we were here and we were hearing inside that capital, the State of the Union, and the president said something. 
he said and spoke of the idea that he likes, quote unquote, legal immigration. But that is a lie. The president does not like any form of immigration. And now he is acting, asking for, for $5 billion to continue to militarize and weaponize a force that has zero accountability. Not only will we not agree to fund that, but we're here to say that an agency like ICE, which repeatedly and systematically violates human rights, does not deserve a dime. She's an idiot, but she's scary, isn't she? This, uh, what, 27, 28-year-old ignoramus who is really the, the star of the Democrat Party right now. She is the closest thing they have to an Obama right now in terms of national attention, and she is the star of the Democrat Party. Astonishing. These are people that always tell us, you know, Trump isn't ready to lead, and Trump doesn't have the intelligence and the good sense to run this country, and he's going to... Oh, oh, but, but Democrats think that Ocasio-Cortez should have the nuclear codes. This, these people are unserious. Fundamentally unserious people taking ridiculous positions. But it's also unsettling. It's a bit frightening. You know, Ocasio-Cortez saying here openly that ICE violates human rights and does not deserve a dime. That's just because she doesn't believe in what ICE does. She does not think that there should be interior enforcement. She doesn't think that there should be any processing for people that come into this country illegally, whether they're requesting asylum or not, to make sure that our laws are enforced. She is openly advocating lawlessness, and yes, she is in favor of open borders. Every Democrat should be asked the question, is illegal immigration bad? Yes, or it's a yes or no question. Is illegal immigration bad? And if they just say yes, then you say, why? And they can't just say, well, because the law. Because no, they don't agree with the law. They don't agree with the enforcement of the law. They can't just get away with this circular, well, I don't like it because the law says it's bad, but it's actually good and we shouldn't enforce the law. That's the game they play. It's disgusting, though, that she's essentially spitting on immigrations and customs enforcement officers here, people that I've talked to and I know and understand the stresses and strain that they're under, says that they systematically violate human rights. How do they violate human rights? The family separation policy that occurred this past summer, which the media acted like was the American equivalent of concentration camps, I saw what they do for these kids. You have Border Patrol and ICE agents who are running around acting as delivery boys to get food and medicine and clothing and, you know, and that's not even their job, but that's what they do for these illegals who are coming into the country. And they're not doing this so that they can, you know, start the next Google. They want a better life, but for a lot of them, a better life is going to be government benefits, have a kid here, then you're here forever, you skip the immigration line. They are scamming us. They are scamming us. And... Democrats pretend to agree that this is a problem, but they don't really think it is. And that's where this all falls apart. But I mean, Ocasio-Cortez saying that I should not get a dime is a disgraceful thing to say. And every Democrat who's running for president should be forced to answer whether they agree with her on this and not get away with some, well, you know, maybe maybe we you know, shift ice or no, no, no. 
she said shouldn't get a dime. She said defund Immigration and Customs Enforcement. That should be an absolutely unacceptable and radical position for any person who wants to hold higher office in this country, including being in Congress. But the left embraces this. They seem to think that we're not figuring out what the game is here. You know, if, if they don't want to enforce the laws on immigration, I don't want to pay taxes anymore. How about that? Oh, what? I'm not a bad guy. It doesn't hurt anyone. It doesn't hurt any of you if I don't pay my taxes. Nobody could stand in front of a court of law and say that Buck not paying his taxes would be some great detriment to the country. I don't make very much money. So how about that? That should be the new rule. If Democrats want to have open borders, you know, we should just say, fine, if you want, if you want open borders, just say that, pass those laws, and then Republicans should say, we're not going to pay income tax anymore. Let's see how this country, let's see how long it floats. Virginians will uh, resolve their, their um, issues uh, that they have there. It's, it's sad because they have some very talented leaders there, uh, but... They have to have the confidence of the electorate and they have to have the confidence of the legislature that they have to work with. But I'll leave that up to them. I have enough to do uh, here without getting involved in the affairs of, of, of Virginia. I think that the, the letter written by the woman um, reads as, as a credible um, account and I think there should be an investigation to get to the bottom of it. And determine the facts. I, I will at least say that Harris there, Kamala Harris, is maintaining some standard in this. Because any Democrat who says that there should not be an investigation, uh, you know, that there should not be an investigation of this Dr. Tyson. Oh, and when do they say doctor and when do they not? I, for those that are spending a fair amount of time reading the news this week, you know, if you have the time, if you care to, you really, you really learn a lot from this. You learn a lot from how it was always Doctor Blasey Ford, Doctor Blasey Ford. She had a, she has like a PhD in psychology, which, you know, okay. Um, now we have somebody else a PhD as a professor, and I hear, I hear a lot of Vanessa Tyson talk, and not a lot of Doctor. It's a subtle thing, but the media understands the power of words and the uh, persuasive effect of using certain words. Trust me, when they omit, because I remember when they were always, oh, Dr. Blasey Ford, but when they omit that title of doctor, they are doing so purposefully. They are doing so because they know that when people hear that, you know, they come away with certain... Uh, there are certain connotations, right? It's it's a it's a credibility. This is it's sort of similar to when I used to go on CNN and have food thrown at me like a caged animal for the delight of of progressive idiots. Uh, they would always introduce me as you know Buck Sexton from Glenn Beck's The Blaze. That was often a thing, and I would say, you know, do I introduce you as uh, you know former male model Don Lemon from Ted Turner's CNN? Or former male model Anderson Cooper that we all have to pretend is is good at what exactly? Looking like a journalist and being on TV? Great. Uh, no, the answer is they did not introduce them that way. They didn't introduce me usually as uh, former CIA analyst, two war zone deployments, uh, NYPD intelligence division, you know, 
nationally syndicated radio host, blah, blah. You know, that was never, it was always uh, from Glenn Beck's The Blaze. Or they'd even call me a right-wing commentator. Uh, so, you know, I just, I just got to tell you, man, you pay attention to these little things because it tells you a lot about the opposition that we are dealing with. And there's just other common sense things that, that bother me about, about Kamala Harris. Um, she, she apparently thinks that it's, it's a bad idea uh, it's a bad idea to, to warn young women to protect themselves from the, you know, protect themselves in the sense that they will avoid excessive drinking because in a lot of situations where there's a sexual assault, excessive drinking uh, puts a woman in a position where she is less able to understand her surroundings in the situation, to fight back effectively. Uh, but but she took this, I mean, there's this uh, this woman row I see uh, who's done some some writing on this? And there was this this earlier in the week there was this uh, hearing on on Capitol Hill, and yeah, I'm sorry, Trump judicial nominee Naomi Rao. Um, she really went after her on this point because Rao has proposed the quote common sense idea of avoiding excessive drinking, and she also clearly says that if you do drink too much, you're not at fault if you're attacked. And she said she's merely trying to keep women from becoming victims of crime. This is exactly the advice that responsible parents and peers should give. I still think it's amazing. I mean, and by the Harris said this is deeply troubling and that you shouldn't say this. Uh, I still think it's amazing that I went through all the campus sensitivity training and all this other stuff that I did. And never once, Never once was I told when I was a college undergrad or when I was a, a resident counselor in college to tell women, you know, be careful with drinking too much. It, it's something that can lead to bad situations. It, it hurts judgment. It hurts your ability to drive a car. It also hurts your, your judgment. You know, uh, you know I, most women that I know are very, they're very able to determine. I'm talking about, you know, young women, not, not you know, young people in high school. Um, when the guy, when a guy is being creepy and has bad intention, but if you add six or seven shots of Jägermeister into the equation, it can be cloudy judgment. You know, look, I'm a, I'm a big brother as well as a guy that, you know, tries to look out for women in general. And I gave my sister this advice before she went to school. And every woman that I know that I care about, who's young and, you know, not a married person that has kids of their own and everything. I said, you know, you don't want to, you know, you got to be careful with the drinking, especially in college. Kamala Harris says that this is bad. This is like blaming the victim. You, you just you can't have real discussions with Democrats. You can't have real discussions with them. I think we should be focusing on what's right now happening with the governor. I know you guys uh, are going to try to focus on a lot of things right now. But right now, my focus is uh, on, again, calling for the governor to step down. How we deal with survivors who come forward right now is unacceptable. And the way we deal with this unfortunately, allows for the continued darkness of this culture to exist. And your brilliance, shining light under this, speaking your truth is nothing short of heroic. So that's Cory Booker, presidential candidate, talking in the beginning about the very, they are credible, entirely believable allegations against Lieutenant Governor Fairfax in Virginia versus the allegations against Christine Blasey Ford. That was the second part of that sound clip. 
On the one hand, he's like, come on, guys, we got we got more important stuff to focus on. There's there's other things that we need to talk about other than this. But with Christine Blasey Ford, it's an opportunity for him to say that this is a defining moment. Uh, this is a defining moment for how we treat victims of sexual assault. And so, you know, what, what I want to point out here is, I mean, the, the double standard with all of this, with whether you have to resign if you're in blackface. Oh, I'm sorry. Against Kavanaugh, not against Ford, against Kavanaugh. Thank you, Producer Mike. Um, but, you know, the double standards about blackface, but also the lack of, and this is where the real bias comes in from the media, from the Democrat aligned media, the lack of a focus on this. Look at how much more interest there was from national media outlets in the allegations against Brett Kavanaugh from all three of those women and and the way that they positioned the stories against Kavanaugh and all the follow-up analysis and context, all the things that they did versus Fairfax, when you have Kavanaugh saying this unequivocally did not happen. You know, I saw, and the woman didn't know what year it was. I mean, Blasey Ford didn't know where it was, didn't know how she got home. I mean, her story was was just crap. I mean, she's a she's a loon. She's got problems. I mean, she's got a disconnect from reality here. There's just no way that any of this made any sense. But I remember what that fight was like, and I just have questions that if reporters were honest, if reporters were being serious about covering these issues with the same standard, using the same, you know, most kind of you know, rigorous, rigorous uh, fact searching that they could possibly do, pushing the questions, pushing the envelope. Here's what they would say. They would ask Lieutenant Governor Fairfax, why would she, as in Vanessa Tyson, why would she make this up? That question was asked. I was asked that question by people during the Kavanaugh. Why would she make this up? Why would she make this up? And then that that was always followed up with, it's very rare for women to make up these allegations. It's very rare. Uh, Well, women do actually make up these allegations. We know of very prominent cases in recent years where it has happened. And especially when there is a political motivation involved, it is not surprising at all. Um, And yet that, that doesn't get put into the mix here. Why would she just make this up, Lieutenant Governor Fairfax? I have not heard anyone ask him that yet. You know, are you saying she's lying? No one seems to ask him that. Why not? He's allowed to deny, you know, what what do you think of these allegations? He denies it. Are you saying she's lying, though? That's what was asked of people, not just of Brett Kavanaugh, but the people supporting him. Are you saying she's lying? And with me, with Kavanaugh, yes. Yes, in fact, I am saying that she's lying. That was kind of a shock to them. And then here's another question. Doesn't she have a right to be believed? Doesn't the accuser of Fairfax have a right to be believed? These are the rules that the Democrats set up. Another one. Ask Governor, uh, Lieutenant Governor Fairfax, shouldn't you step aside because of the cloud you are under? Shouldn't you just, you know, make room for somebody else who's not going to have these kinds of problems? All right. I think all this is kind of unfair. I, I want to be clear about that. I don't think that these are questions that anytime there's an allegation should be asked of a politician. But these were the questions that were asked of Brett Kavanaugh and all those who were defending him. And I need to know 
why journalists aren't asking them now. I need to know what has changed here. What has changed here in um, this circumstance? We all know. I, we know what the answers are. Democrats versus Republicans. We, we understand what the answers are. I'm merely saying we should force them to tell us. And there's one other part. And, and this was... I heard some progressives on some crap podcast and one of them, this guy said, you know, look at what happened to Kavanaugh, how he how he melted down when he was confronted with his with his privilege, which is just a bizarre construct here. Kavanaugh wasn't confronted with his privilege. He was confronted with fake rape uh, rape accusations from crazy people who were trying to take him down because they thought they were on some left wing mission. That's what he was confronted with. He wasn't confronted with his privilege. And, you know, this is a common thing you come across with, with leftists where, you know, they, they like to say, oh, well, if you grow up with a nice family that's intact and you make something of yourself, you know, you didn't build that. That's not really something that anyone should celebrate. That's not really yours in, in any meaningful way. You're, you're not somebody that we really need to celebrate because, you know, you didn't build that. Well, a lot of people went to school with Kavanaugh. They didn't become top students at, at Yale Law School. They didn't have decades of, of top-tier legal careers. You know, a lot of people have nice, intact families, and, you know, they end up just kind of doing whatever. It's not as easy as just, you know, mom and dad stay married and you have a household where there's somebody earning a decent living and everything you do you should thank the state for and feel guilty about. But that's what liberals, that's one of the, ways that they try to to undermine any sense of a meritocracy because they think there is no such thing as a meritocracy, which is central to the identity politics that they view as the foundation of our society now. And we'll talk more about that in, in the next hour. Actually, I want to get into some more of the identity politics corrosion that is occurring here. But then there's this other part, too, of the Lieutenant Governor Fairfax situation. It is this. I also remember them the, the Democrats and the media with this just it, just this mendaciousness and just this vicious, bald face lie that no sentient human being could believe was was meant in good faith that because Kavanaugh, when he was being called a sexual predator who ran gang rape parties in high school, all of it a lie because he was upset. He had he didn't have. The temperament, do you remember this? He didn't have the temperament to be a Supreme Court justice. So even after it looked like the stories were flimsy and they were falling apart and they were going after him for political reasons, and even after all of that, what they fell back on was, well, because he's angry that people are trying to destroy him in front of his wife, his children, and all of America— we can't, we can't let him have this job anyway. These people are disgusting. They're the same people that are just going to move from the special counsel, which is winding down in the next few weeks, to the next set of investigations. You know, the, the Adam Schiff, just what a slimeball that guy is. Uh, but the next level of, you know, Trump administration proctology examination that they're going to engage in under the ruse of Russia collusion. I mean, this is, it's appalling what they're doing. But these people have no principles. This is part one of the one of the things that we have to get over on our side of 
the the not just the political spectrum, but on on the moral and ethical and ideological spectrum, is that the people that have embraced leftist, statist, socialist, redistributive identity politics and moral relativism, they don't play by the same rules that we do on anything. And we saw this with how they attacked Kavanaugh, and now we're seeing with how they excused Lieutenant Governor Fairfax, who was in a meeting and called his accuser a a blank that starts with an F and a you know blank that starts with a B. Does that you know where are the social justice warriors that two weeks ago were were, were snickering about how Kavanaugh was confronted with his privilege and that's why he got so angry? Was was Fairfax confronted with his privilege? Is that why he got so angry? By the way, there are other Democrats who knew about this. They all covered up for this guy. They all covered this up. They didn't want this to be adjudicated in the court of public opinion. They didn't want this to be adjudicated in court, I think, either, because there's no statute of limitations on rape in Virginia. And this was in 2004. So, you know, they I they knew that this was a huge liability. I do think, before we uh, switch gears here in the next hour, I do think, however, the, the idea that... Um, Maybe Northam or uh, I keep forgetting the other the other guy the the state attorney general uh, I keep forgetting his name but you know the other guy from Virginia the idea that uh, one of them might have leaked this information to take the heat off of them I I can see that actually these people are these people are brutal these Democrat politicians they uh, they got no qualms about throwing anybody under the bus hour three is coming up and it's going to be massive stay with me. AARP, people are like, oh, yeah, that's a seniors organization, right? You might know a bit about it. You might already be a member or someone you know is a member. But I'm here to tell you, AARP is surprisingly liberal, supports a lot of left wing stuff. And that's not where your values are. So why not get all the benefits of a great seniors organization, but one that was founded by a veteran and is all about supporting values that you also care about? I recommend AMAC. AMAC has over 1.5 million Americans who have joined, and I'm telling you, AMAC allows for good policy for America and good benefits and value for you, including discounts on car insurance, hotels, roadside assistance, you name it. Stand with AMAC as they fight the good fight. Become a member today. The benefits are great, but the cause is even greater. Tell your family and tell your friends. Join right now at amac.us slash buck. That's A-M-A-C dot us slash buck amac is better better for you better for america this is what happens when identity politics becomes supreme when you feel an obligation to define yourself by your heritage instead of your ideas Mm. you reach for these things you decide i want to put on the form i'm american indian this is an issue where the democrats have inverted martin luther king's dream he said he wanted his four little children to be judged by the content of their character Mm -hmm. and not the color of their skin Too many Democrats think the color of their skin, it does come first. It is what should be talked about, your race, your heritage, your background, your orientation. This all dominates Democratic politics instead of your ideas. If I'm Elizabeth Warren, I drop all of this and I just talk about my ideas and stop apologizing. Yeah, Elizabeth Warren has gone out and and said, uh, I believe, to a, a tribe of the or said to the Cherokee Nation that uh, she's sorry and now she's going on the apology tour for this whole thing. You know, the the problem for Warren, other than the fact that she looks completely ridiculous in this whole process, I mean, she's somebody who I, I don't think that she can recover 
from the ridiculousness of what she's done here. Um, but the problem for her is that it's also it's it's also a, a function of where the left is on this stuff. You know, they don't have answers for is identity malleable. You know, can you because if your gender identity is malleable, I need to know why your racial identity is not you know, changeable. Uh, why is this in that? Why is one an immutable characteristic, but the other is up for up for discussion? Uh, I know there was this this transgender individual um, who got very upset recently. I think this was in Arizona. I just remember reading the story quickly a few days ago, um, but got very upset because a a store clerk called him him and and actually they you know the idea was that he is supposed to be called her now and this has just gotten to the place where it's it's utterly bizarre right it, it, you know you don't know how you're supposed to uh, how you're supposed to interact with people anymore because they're changing the rules constantly i mean they're they're deciding that you're not allowed to be in a position where you could be confident in what you're saying. Yeah, this is, I was looking for the piece here. Transgender woman explodes on GameStop employee after being misgendered. Oh, this was back in December, actually. I just saw some of it getting linked here. But a very large man in women's clothing was referred to as Sir... And then this turned into a, and this was at a GameStop, which is a, John, John, GameStop is where they sell video games, right? Yes. Yeah. It's a, it's a video game place. And the, the person got so angry, this, this transgender individual got so angry and said, claimed that this was a huge, um, you know, a, a huge slap in the face. Why is it that a transgender person can claim to be a different, a different gender, but Elizabeth Warren can't claim to be a member of the Cherokee Nation or whatever tribe, she said. Oh, she said today also that there might be more examples of this. I mean, she built her whole career on this racial fraud. It's it's amazing when you think about it, how successful she actually was in this whole process. It, it's pretty astonishing that she managed to be in a place where it took this much public scrutiny and this much attention on on her for this stuff to come out. You know, nobody ever stopped to challenge whether this woman was a fair representative of this. I, I still remember I had a friend and she got a lot. I think I've told you this before on the show. I got a friend. I had a friend who got in a lot of trouble because she claimed to be African-American because she was born in Cairo, which is Africa, and then moved to America. But she was born in Cairo, which is on the continent of Africa. And she claimed for college application purposes to be African-American. And they were very upset with her about that. And she took issue with it. Now, I understand that they would say that it's meant to be for the uh, for people that have suffered, you know, from institutional racism. And she as a light skinned, I mean, you would not really know that she was even Arab, but as a light skinned person, maybe they claim that that's uh, that's not what this is intended for. But then what about students who come from entirely African countries and are welcomed into the university system because they are supposed they're, they're a part of this diversity push. Are they, you know, are they African American? No, they're just African. So why why is there an obligation to take those students ahead of other students just be it's really because of skin color is what you find out. 
And this stuff is incoherent. And I know as I discussed this with you in the context of Elizabeth Warren, it sounds like we run in circles and we're going around and around, but that's because that's what they do. This is the reality of identity politics as it is uh, manifesting itself in, in our day-to-day lives. You can't keep up with this stuff. You know, Next month, I think, we're going to get a ruling on the Asian Americans who apply to Harvard and how they are they are discriminated against. People can say whatever they want. You know, Asians need to have on average, I think it's almost 200 points higher on the SAT than uh, the non-Asian, uh, non-white peers. So essentially black, Hispanic and Native American peers in order to get into Harvard. That's a big swing. I mean, the difference between getting a 1,400 on the SAT and a 1,200 on the SAT by the percentages is vast. Uh, And yet here we are. What's the explanation for this? Oh, a lot of stuff about historical oppression. Why are Hispanic and Latino communities, they're oppressed? How and on what scale? Are they more oppressed than Asian Americans? How and why? Uh, there, there was institutional and, and legalized racism against Asians in this country after the building of the railroads. Some of you are probably familiar with that part of history. That was a real thing. There's been no call for reparations on that. And in, I'm just wondering when they come forward with Asian privilege as a thing. Why is that so hard to believe? Why is Asian privilege such a, such a, a shocking term when the average Asian household has more in this country than the average white household does. Now, the only way to make sense of all this or, or to try to, to deal with this is to say that we're not going to divide society along these lines. We're not going to treat people differently based on their skin color, or their ethnicity, their national origin, and that everyone is a person and all people are equal in the eyes of the law and in the eyes of God. And we judge people as individuals. That's the only way. Everything else that they're doing is essentially an intrusion, an intrusion of the state into uh, social and cultural processes, whether it's affirmative action or uh, any of these diversity initiatives you see at the government level, at the private sector level. Any of those intrusions are just going to invite more intrusions and the constant jockeying for position, the constant bickering of these different groups that are represented by, you know, activists and the whole identity politics industrial complex, which is a real thing. You know, it's a real thing on university campuses, a real thing in corporate America, a real thing in government hiring. This is not a a long-term recipe for a successful nation. Uh, The concepts of a a shared language, a shared ideology, a shared history that does not take into account these different uh, identity politics-based groups as somehow the building blocks of society. I mean, this is the only way we're going to be able to move forward effectively. And so Elizabeth Warren, is it's more than just she's an embarrassment and she's a fraud, which those things are true. She's also really emblematic of how far this poison of identity politics has spread where you have people who are recognizing it as a a way to, if they're dishonest enough and they're shameless enough, as a way to get ahead. And, you know, Democrats have to try to turn some kind of a a blind eye to it, and they really don't have explanations for what the rules are. 
The rules are whatever feels convenient at the time. As we've been seeing with these Virginia politicians, the rules are whatever the Democrats say they are based on their need to hold on to power. But uh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Warren is, I think, I think she's done running for president, whether she knows it or not. But she's also a troubling sign of where this country is headed if we don't get a handle on this whole identity politics debacle that continues to play out. Friends, when do you want to spot that burglar? When he's casing your home or after he's already broken in? Well, you can ask John, whose blink camera alerted him to burglars trying to break in while he and his family were actually home. Or Shannon, whose blink camera caught a thief stealing packages off her front porch. Happens to so many people. Uh, But both times, blink video clips were sent to police to help convict the crooks. Blink motion-activated indoor and outdoor cameras are wire-free. They set up in minutes and run on two AA batteries that last up to two years. And if you're traveling, Blink's live feed option lets you monitor your home and check in on pets from anywhere using the Blink smartphone app. No contracts, no subscriptions, totally affordable, and Blink works with Alexa. Blink camera systems make great gifts, and they're a brilliant way to monitor your package deliveries. Visit BlinkProtect.com slash buck. Again, B-L-I-N-K, Protect.com slash buck. Once more, that's B-L-I-N-K, BlinkProtect.com slash buck. Blink is an Amazon company. What do you say to, to Democratic voters who watched you go over there? And, 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 and what do you say to military members who have been deployed repeatedly in Syria, pushing back against Assad? Uh, people who have been deployed to Syria have been there focused on their mission, which has been to defeat ISIS. Our troops have not gone to Syria to uh, wage yet another costly, destructive regime change war. Journalists don't seem to understand this. And you know, I know we talked about this a little bit yesterday. I just want to follow up on it. They, they don't know what they're talking about for the most part with these overseas conflicts. They don't really understand the intricacy of the players. They certainly don't speak particularly intelligently about uh, about Syria and Iraq and Afghanistan because to really know what's going on requires a, a great deal of reading and research and understanding. But I just know that you know they can't figure out where they are on these issues. It's fascinating to see this play out. The, the, the Democrat-aligned media isn't sure if they're supposed to to cheer or boo when Trump talks about getting us out of these uh, conflict zones, when Trump gets us out of these wars. I mean, these are wars, and there seems to be a very superficial, at best, understanding of just what it means, uh, of what it means to have our troops holding these countries together or suppressing some of these uh, continuing Islamist insurgencies. And, you know, there's just no acceptance whatsoever of the reality on the ground, which is that the Assad regime is going to stay. Uh, There's also, I think, very little acceptance of what's going to happen in Afghanistan as we draw down, which is that the Taliban, I mean, you're hearing me say this very openly, that the Taliban is going to take control of at least half of that country. And there might be an unsteady power-sharing agreement for a while, but eventually the Taliban and the remnants of the Northern Alliance, which is Tajik, Uzbek, and Hazara, but mostly Tajik and Uzbek, uh, they're going to go to war with the Taliban again. I mean, Afghanistan is going to go through another cycle of civil war, and there's a lot of 
reasons I you know that we can get into as to why that is uh, the lack of the lack of both the infrastructure and the uh, civic attachment to a centralized government in Afghanistan means that you're, you're going to be facing this problem for a very long time. And I, I think that we should all be open and honest about what the trade-offs are going to be. And this is this brings me back to a debate that started, what was it now, a month or two ago, where I was saying as a conservative, look, we've got to leave Syria, we've got to leave Afghanistan, we've got a military presence in Iraq. Iraq is an allied regime, and we do have, I think, uh, a greater strategic interest in keeping Iraq from completely falling apart, at least in the near term. So I'm I'm okay with the Iraq presence on a temporary basis. That said, I think the Iraqis are going to kick us out pretty soon. I think the Iraqis are going to say, thanks, but uh, we, we've got this. That doesn't mean we won't give them aid and assistance. But where is the left on all this? You know, they're, they're trying to just say that Trump is crazy, Trump is crazy. And I think that they should get a lot more criticism for the cynicism, the cynicism that is constantly on display from Democrats on issues of, of war and peace, uh, on issues of military life and death. I mean, our troops being deployed, they were so opposed to the Bush administration's wars abroad, and then they were excusing Obama's acceleration of the war and, and, and expansion of the war in Afghanistan, a complete apologist for it, by the way, and his blind eye that he turned to everything going on in Syria Obama administration policy in Syria was a disaster. And part of the reason it was a disaster, we were led to believe that it was because Obama didn't want to didn't want to repeat the mistakes of the Bush administration. That's actually a very charitable reinterpretation, I think rewriting of what was really going on there. The Obama administration took such a soft touch with regard to the situation in Syria. Remember, they went into Libya, you know, they were going to go in there and and send in we, we had planes bombing them. We had uh, NATO allies uh, supporting the anti-Qaddafi resistance. We toppled that government. We figured, hey, why not? The reason they didn't go into Syria is, yes, it would have been a more complicated mission than Libya, but also they didn't want to upset the Iranians. And the Iranians have much deeper interests in Syria than we do. That's just a fact. And we need to understand what the drawbacks are, what the downsides are, to the projection of U.S. military force into some of these areas, because when you're there, you're responsible. You know, even, you know, th think of it this way with the, the presence in Iraq, the presence in Syria and in Afghanistan. Uh, you know, you can be out with your friend at a bar who is a, a really volatile character and you can say, all right, I'm just going to be there with him, but I'm not going to be. This is mostly the guys, although some of the ladies, you probably have some volatile friends, too, that go out, you go out drinking with. But if you're out with that friend who you know can be a problem sometimes, you have to remember that even if you mind your own business and, and you don't want to get into it with anybody, you might be in a position where you feel obligated to back your buddy up when he starts something. And that's, that's the problem with staying in a place like Syria or continuing to stay in a place like Afghanistan is that I don't believe that this is like Germany or like South Korea. These are not stabilized situations where we can determine we come and go as we please. And it's just uh, the day to day safety and security of our troops is essentially assured. Uh, I think that there's a and people would say, Buck, we, we have troops in South Korea because we want 
effectively a, a bulwark against North Korean aggression. Yeah, that's true. But unless North Korea wants to fight a war, uh, they're not going to go after our troops in South Korea. The Taliban doesn't care. I mean, if they can sneak a suicide uh, truck bomb into one of our facilities and kill two or 300 Americans, they'll do it in the blink of an eye. They could, that, that would be, uh, they view it as a huge victory. But you know, these are the discussions that you would think, and I know I'm, I'm moving around and talking about some of the different places where we have troops, but these are the discussions that you would think would be happening in this country in a way where people are really, our, our politicians and the media are really engaged. But because it's hard for them to bash Trump for not wanting, for not wanting to expand these wars or to invade more countries, because of that, I think there's less interest. Ultimately, much of the left's posturing on foreign policy and, and its positioning on foreign policy is really just a function of what is advantageous from a domestic policy perspective. That really is the focus. That is where they want to put their energy and, and attention. And this is why there's such an incoherence. And that's why back to the Tulsi Gabbard situation. Um, and I, I just I watched that clip again last night. Here's a bunch of liberals posing as journalists, asking a left-wing Democrat questions that are essentially hostile because Gabbard doesn't want us to go to war with Assad. And Democrats, after all those years where Obama didn't go to war with Assad, seem kind of disappointed by that prospect. And that's not driven by what's happening in Syria. That's just driven by the changes here at home. You know, because Trump is... Opposed to war with Assad, they kind of feel like they should be for it. This is crazy stuff, but we are living in a uh, in a very unusual time for American politics. So I guess I should stop saying that any of this stuff is crazy because we're coming to expect it. Hey, Team Buck, it's time for roll call. The roll call, may we be answered. I don't know why we do some weird foreign language stuff with roll call these days. I don't know. I just feel like got to change it up. Got to spice it up. Keep the team on their toes. And I always wonder if, if you can hear what I hear when I'm in the studio. Like somehow there's a dog that's barking right below me. John, can, does, does that stuff, do you guys hear the sirens sometimes or is it just... Just me. I think your mic doesn't pick it up. I think it's pretty good mic. Oh, nice. Okay. Occasionally, but then again, I'm like not I'm using headphones, of, uh, so I don't know. <laughs> I'm in the middle of like a, a Law and Order episode here because I've got a, a roadway that goes past me with the sirens. All right. I feel like it gives a little authenticity to things. Um, let's get into uh, let's get into it. Facebook.com/slash Buck Sexton. Also, if you are on Instagram, which is increasingly the platform of choice for a lot of folks because they don't really spend as much time on Facebook. You can follow me there too, Buck Sexton. One note though, I'm seeing that there's a, I get messages on Instagram. There's a lot of like bots and things that send messages on Instagram. So if you want to send me a message directly, please send it to facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Instagram messages, there's so many and they're from, you know, Svetlana from Moscow who wants to be my special friend. Say uh, and and I'm just, yeah, that's not good. So I try not, I, you know, we, we don't open those messages. Yes, you are a very handsome American. I want to make, uh, I want to make contact with you. Whoa, hey, lady. 
Hey, Svetlana2797 Fiverr. Uh, I don't think it's really a guy named a guy named Oleg who is in a, a basement in Moscow. Uh, but that's why I don't open the Instagram messages. So uh, by all means, send me Facebook messages, less Russian bots or any bots for that matter uh, on Facebook. Tony, first up here. Hey, Buck, I was just listening to yesterday's podcast when I heard the crushing news. I'm losing my broadcast heroes. First, Jerry Doyle, Bree Payton, and now the great Doc Thompson. Not to mention almost losing Jeff Fisher. You're my last hero. I know I'm a 48-year-old Coast Guard vet trying to break into this chaotic world of radio that I've dreamed up since I was a kid. I promise you this. When I get my shot, I will carry the memory of those great broadcasters on my shoulders and in my heart with every breath I take on the air. Well, Tony, my friend, first of all, I I agree with you. I I certainly am, am still reeling from the loss of my old colleague and friend Doc Thompson and and also my colleague and friend Bree Payton uh, two people far too young and far too much ahead of them uh, for just tragedy to strike in the way that it did Um, as for your aspirations and your desire to continue on the mission of some of the greats that you mentioned uh, my friend shields high please please stay on it stay in the fight and and chase your dream man because you know the, the more I look around I see what folks are up to and at the end of the day, you know, you have how you treat people and what you're doing with yourself. And that's and that's really a lot of a lot of what you got. You know, maybe you get some some good meals here or there and a good night's sleep. But other than that, how do you treat the people around you and what do you do with yourself? I said to somebody recently that we are all just a compilation of our choices. I should probably change that or amend it to we're a compilation of our choices uh, as manifested in our actions. Um, that's that's what really defines who we are. So, Tony, good luck to you, my friend. Godspeed. Um, Kayla writes, hold on a second. Love the show, Buck, but you are wrong. The State of the Union speech was perfect, and do not discount the public's ability to ingest information. I remember every word. Also, bring back deep dives in history. These are the things that make your show different from the others. OSS, Shields High, K. Um, well, uh, Kayla, as to, you're, you're absolutely every bit as entitled to your opinion on the State of the Union address as I am to what I said. So if you think it was perfect, well, then it's perfect. Um, as to uh, history deep dives, trust me, it's, it's a love of mine. It's kind of a passion project. I know we did Shields High for a little bit. I, I want to come back and do more of them. Uh, it really just turned into a, an issue of, you know, I've got bosses who own to some degree my, my time. I've got a few bosses. And they own my time. And so that, you know, that makes it hard for me to do some projects like that that we're not, uh, we don't have a commercial sponsor for. There's some very nice folks out there who offered to uh, try and sponsor a few episodes of Shields High just out of their own pocket. Maybe I would do a GoFundMe for one or something, but uh, is that is that what it is? Yeah, GoFundMe, right? That's what you would use. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a lot of work. And these days... Um, I'm running a little ragged just trying to make sure that this show is as good as it can possibly be every night, plus the rising show, plus columns that I write, plus all kinds of stuff. Um, But Kay, thank you so much for writing in, and uh, we will get to the history projects again. It's just a question of when I can carve out the time. Max writes, Pelosi said she wants $0 for the wall because she thinks building a wall is immoral. If I were in Trump's shoes, I'd say that I will not veto a budget with no wall funding so long as it also has no Planned Parenthood funding because I think they're immoral. Potentially, that fulfills a campaign promise no matter what she decides. Ben Sass was just complaining on Monday we haven't really tried defunding Planned Parenthood 
Do you think there's any chance Trump may try this? Max, I don't think that there's much of a chance that Trump will do that specifically, but I'm not saying that means it's not a good idea. I think it is disappointing that Republicans did not try really to defund, did not defund. And they could have. They did not defund Planned Parenthood. There are Republicans who like their jobs more than they like their principles and their mission. There's no way around that. It's just the truth. So I think we have to remember that as we look at these different uh, different issues that come up of why didn't they do this or why didn't they do that. It's not always because they were blocked or because they didn't have the time or the resources or the bandwidth. Sometimes they just didn't want to do it. They didn't want to do it. And I think that that's certainly true about Planned Parenthood. I was talking to a, you know what, I should, uh, hey, Producer Mike, can we can we reach out to the the team behind uh, Unplanned, the movie. I'd like to get somebody from from the movie on. Uh, I was just talking to uh, somebody who's involved in it today. I, I bumped into somebody while having coffee, as one does, and uh, he's involved with the movie. and And I think it's something that we should talk about a little bit on the show here, because obviously the, me- the media just they want to bury it. I mean, they don't want anyone to know um, about this woman who used to be a Planned Parenthood director and then essentially went in the room and really saw what was going on and learned and now has become a a warrior for life since then. They do not want people to know the story and this movie that's just out now unplanned. uh, So we should reach out and get somebody from that show on. I'm sorry, from that movie on. Um, My main man, TJ. Buck, here's a quote I read from Victor Davis Hanson that you might appreciate, albeit a slightly extreme analogy. If Trump avoids unpopular wars and tough economic times, perhaps a majority of voters will see him as political chemotherapy, occasionally nausea-inducing, but still necessary and largely effective to stop a toxic and metastasizing political cancer. You know, TJ, some of the uh, some of the stalwarts in Team Buck were trying to tell me this all along. They were saying, "Look, man, you've gotta you've gotta see Trump as a as a political." Uh, as a political weapon against this onslaught from the left. And, you know, weapons are messy. You know, artillery is a great thing, but sometimes artillery rounds land on the wrong house. That's just the nature of of battle and the nature of struggle. And Trump is not perfect. He's an imperfect vessel. I, I would never sit here and because I would have to tell you things that I don't believe are true. I would never sit here and say that everything that Trump says and everything he does is amazing. Uh, but what he has done so far is uh, look, I, I think he's I think he's been more conservative than than George W. Bush I, on on the dom- on domestic policy. I think it's not even a hard case to make. Bush was almost an open borders guy. Bush was really pro amnesty, no problem with legal immigration. In fact, the whole Bush family was really open to the idea of huge guest worker programs, more and more immigration, amnesty. And you can see this by the way that they uh, they dealt with a case uh, down at the border involving two border agents, uh, uh, Ramos and uh, Campeon, I believe were their names, who got into a shootout with a cartel drug smuggler. And somehow because they didn't they didn't log the shootout properly and and the guy got I think he got hit in the butt with a round. uh, They faced years and years in federal prison and went to prison. And finally, at the end of the Bush administration, uh, I believe it was I I don't I forget which one. I think it was Ramos, but I might be forgetting. I can't remember everything off the top of my head uh, was commuted. His sentence was commuted. 
But they threw Border Patrol, the Bush, the Bush administration, George W. Bush, threw Border Patrol under the bus. And the Bushes were, yeah, they're they're Connecticut plutocrats posing as, you know, Texas salt of the earth types. Uh, But they were not good on immigration. They were not good on on the debt. They're not good on a lot of issues. So people that want to lecture me about, oh, Trump isn't conservative. Okay, what do you define as conservative policy then? I'm, I'm curious. Um, but you know what? I, I want to continue on with roll call here because we're just I feel like we're just getting into it. So let me hit a quick pause and we will come right back. Before we get into the uh, roll call again, I just want to note that if you have not already, please do subscribe to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. It's on iTunes, on the iHeart radio app. Even if you're a live listener, if you subscribe to the podcast, it just means you'll have an opportunity to listen whenever you like. And uh, it's also the easiest way to share this show with people so they don't say, oh, I don't have him on my station in my area. You say, well, here's the podcast. All right, Cheryl writes, hi, Buck. I uh, have received this newsletter from Hillsdale. This article discusses research studies that show some very negative results of marijuana use. People have been told it's not really harmful. Common sense says that's not true. Now there's research to challenge the medical and recreation marijuana uh, propaganda. Uh, You know, I will have to check this out, uh, Cheryl. Now, you know, I'm I'm somebody who is in favor of of moderation in in almost all things. Uh, Moderation is is a good idea. I mean, it's even for someone like me who has a bit of a, a chocolate addiction and a caffeine addiction. I mean, these are my vices. Um, I have not smoked marijuana in, oh my gosh, I'd say almost 20 years now. It's been 20 years. I haven't done any illegal drugs of any kind in almost 20 years. Um, and yet I'm somebody who tries to live within the realities of what prohibition does in society and, and what legalization does. That all said, just because something is legal, I don't think it means that anybody suggests that it's good for you or even a good thing. Uh, sometimes the cost of prohibition is worse than the, uh, the downside of, of legalization. Uh, with marijuana, I, I've never, I don't enjoy it. I don't understand the appeal. I've never had a medical condition that would benefit from marijuana smoking, so I can't speak to that. But I do know that uh, alcohol, even in, in any excess and, and the culture around alcohol is really destructive. And I even think that the professional culture for adults around alcohol, you know, everywhere you go, they always want to drink. You know, I don't necessarily want to drink with the frequency that I'm supposed to in professional settings. And people make think it's funny that you, you know, that someone like me would have an iced tea or something out at a social event. But I got to get up at five o'clock in the morning. I work 14 hours a day on a lot of days. So I, I, I can't. That doesn't mean I don't like to sit back there sometimes and have a glass of tequila or mezcal or, you know, so I, I'm not a prohibitionist, but I'm, I'm a moderation guy with marijuana. I, I'm, I'm open to the argument that it's really uh, bad for you, but I, I don't see the argument for let's make this illegal. So if you're trying to tell me that uh, people should know that this is not as harmless as they're being led to believe, I'm all for that. But if we're going to start locking people up again for selling or smoking marijuana, I just I don't see how that argument can be made while alcohol is is legal. Um, I, I really I really don't. Bob writes, catching up on my podcast. I live in Chicago. Trust me, this is not MAGA country. 
I have never seen a MAGA hat in the city. I'm surrounded by progressive Democrats. I find the story highly unlikely from the Empire actor. Bob, I've been saying it all along, and it's so funny because some of the blue checks, which for those of you who don't know, that's just the, uh, this is when you're verified on a social media platform. And this is now how people like me, who are media personalities, we all fight with each other, right, on, on online. And when I say the blue checks come after me, it means the journalists, the verified journalists are giving me a hard time about something. Some of them gave me all this heat because I said, I'm sorry, I just don't think that this story adds up. I don't I don't find it credible. That's different than saying it's a lie, um, but I don't find it credible. And now I'll say, no, it's a lie. It's a lie. This guy made this up. Um, I don't know if he made up all of it. Maybe there was some kind of a scuffle on the street with somebody. But all this MAGA, this Jussie Smollett character, uh, this actor in uh, Chicago, his story doesn't make sense. And when a story doesn't make sense like this, you know, but he, there's no downside. They're telling us now the Chicago Police Department has said if he file a false report, there'll be consequences. I don't believe that. I don't believe it. Um, they, they won't want to prosecute him. And, you know, the, I, I disagree with this idea that, you know, on the one hand, if you lie to the FBI, libs will always say, oh, but, you know, you can't lie to the FBI, even though, as we know, there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of uh, hypocrisy and who gets charged and who doesn't and under what pretenses. I mean, there's a double standard in place. Um, but when it comes to false reports, which is just another form of lying, liberals seem very uh, accepting of, of false reports. If you say, well, you should be punished for a false report about a hate crime, about a sexual assault, you will hear liberals over and over again completely uh, freak out about this and and they will say that it's going to get rid of people it, it'll stop people from coming forward to tell their stories it'll stop people from filing charges all of this stuff so uh, there, I have real real concerns um, about how this is no longer treated it's not treated as a problem false reports are not treated as as the uh, the issue that they should be and in the Jussie Smollett case I think we're going to see that play out very soon Stephen writes, hey, Buck, just want to say thanks for your mention of Doc on your show. I generally listen to you when The Blaze does your rerun in the mornings. Back in The Blaze days, I listened to Beck, but you and Doc were the two reasons I really listened in, with Jay Severin just a little bit behind you. Nowadays, you and Doc plus uh, Clavin, Stein, and the guys over at Bill Whittle's place are my go-tos for everything. All you guys mean a lot to me. I appreciate hearing your words this morning. Shields high. Well, Stephen, you mean a lot to us, my friend, and the people like you are our friends out there who support what we do and are a part of what we're doing. And uh, I really, last night, I was just saying prayers for Doc and his family and uh, sharing their GoFundMe and trying to get them help. By the way, there's been a lot of people helping, which I really appreciate. I think they raised over $100,000 when I checked this morning. We're going to close the show up there, my friends. More tomorrow. Shields high. Days away. Valentine's Day, my friends. It's the Super Bowl for romance. Do you want to make sure you do it the right way? Do you want to get it taken care of right now? It'll just take you a minute or two. Do it. Go to 1-800-Flowers.com. Make sure you get beautiful stuff, beautiful flowers and chocolate and gifts, all the stuff that you need right there at 1-800-Flowers.com because we've only got a few days until Valentine's Day. You can still get it delivered on time at the place you want it to be. I've done this. I got Miss Molly getting flowers next week. I'm really excited about it. She's going to love them, and I'm going to be a Valentine's Day hero. You can be a Valentine's Day hero, too. 
Just go to 1-800-Flowers.com, order 18 red roses for $29.99 or upgrade to 24 red roses for only $10 more. Again, 1-800-Flowers.com, click the radio icon and enter code BUCK. 1-800-Flowers.com, click that radio icon, enter code BUCK. Hurry, offer expires Friday. 